Good afternoon, sir. Yo, yo. This is episode 51 of the Beef and Bitcoin podcast with your host, Brett and CH. Today's topics. I saw a recent article about uh, Trump popping the Bitcoin bubble in 2017. Looks like uh, there's speculation that the CFTC and those cash-settled um, CME futures might have had something to do with it. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, China FOMO. Did, did G pump our bags with that tweet about uh, blockchain technology? Uh, and we'll, we'll touch on that. And also, uh, looks like things aren't going so hot in, uh, in Bcash land. And Roger might be throwing a little bit of a shit fit over here. Looks like they've been having some issues with finding blocks and then blocks being found way too quickly. And somebody has the control of the majority of the hash rate. So we'll touch on shitcoin land. But uh, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. Um, yeah, I forgot Roger Cash is a Vcash guy. <laughs> I, yeah, I know yeah. that because we mentioned it. We talked about him, I think, before one of our podcasts the other day. Like, I, I have respect for the guy. I think he's a brown belt now in jiu-jitsu. And he's competed. And he's, you know, he's... Uh, and, like, it's funny. Like, so one of the guys I train with out uh, where I live now, like, he, like, went against Roger at a competition. I, I think they were in the purple belt or something like that at the time. And they, at the end, like he ended up giving Roger ended up giving him Bitcoin. <laughs> like, yeah, this is dude, a I believe that. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> so that is funny. Yeah, I just was like, I was like, oh, that's funny, you know, because like obviously Roger's become like more of this whatever figure in crypto Twitter, crypto land. Sure, but sure. it's just it's just funny, like you know, um, small world, I guess, or whatever. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say what you want about Roger. He's also he's uh, he's given away a lot of Bitcoin in his day, trying to yeah. you know gain adoption. And yeah, I, I wish he wouldn't have uh, gone the the Bcash route and went into Scam Central. But it is what it is. Everybody plays their part when they need to play their part. And he was uh, arguably good for Bitcoin from the time he was involved up until the past uh, two years or so. But you know, it just kind of is what it is. But I guess we'll touch on all that Bcash drama uh, towards the end of the show. But um, what do you think? Should we jump into the to that Trump popping the Bitcoin bubble article? Yeah. Um, also, if you're watching on YouTube, you can see the CME futures gapped up from a close of about 87.50 on Friday, opening up at 9,700 roughly. So there are some sad people out there. Anyone yeah, shorter they, the weekend? <laughs> for sure. And I think that's... Um, that's just a good point to talk about the the CME futures market. So it looks like uh, our good friend Chris Giancarlo, ex-chairman of the CFTC, was telling CoinDesk in a recent interview that the uh, you know I guess the Trump administration acted to deflate the Bitcoin bubble of 2017 by allowing uh, the the CME futures to kind of launch. And if you remember. That was that was such bullish news, and in 2017, and then literally as soon as the futures launched, that was the the top of yeah. the bubble, and and it just it tanked from there. And you know, I, I want to read one of these quotes really quick. And he said, one of the untold stories of the past few years is that the CFTC, the Treasury, the SEC, and the National Economic Council uh, director at the time, Gary Cohn, believed that the launch of the Bitcoin futures would have the impact of popping the Bitcoin bubble. And it worked. Uh, you know, they saw the bubble building and thought the best way to address it would be allow the market to interact with it, Giancarlo told the crowd that gathered at the Ritz-Carlton. So I think, um, 
I don't think anything too much of it one way or the other. And I don't, it very well could be the case that the, the allowance of that cash settled futures market to, um, uh, I guess real Bitcoin's price in that really could be the case. And I, I encourage that kind of price discovery because you, you don't want, you don't want these things to get too far out of whack. And I'd rather have a lot more ability for liquidity to get into the market, right? So you and I always talk about, you know, are, are institutions coming? How do they invest even if they want to? You can sit down and speculate all day long about um, large, uh, large funds or smart money getting into the space, but they really don't have a lot of the infrastructure needed to get in there, right? They need to deal with custody issues, legal issues, regulatory issues, a whole bunch of nonsense to even just get exposure to the asset. And, um, you know, CME futures were the, were the first ones to kind of, well, besides Ledger X, those were one of the first ones to give you that type of exposure. So, uh, I encourage it, honestly. Like I, I think that it does aid in the price discovery, and it it may have played a role in in popping that bubble. But if anything, I, I think it's a good thing. But I, I'm curious to hear what you think about it. Well, I was going to say I think we <clears throat> sometimes tend to forget the state of Bitcoin um, in the fall of 2017 into leading into the winter. Um, do you remember how it was impossible to send transactions, and if, if you sent off an exchange that didn't allow you to adjust like the fee, you would get right. absolutely dicked if it wasn't high. It was like, oh, yeah. and that was that was part of the whole altcoin narrative. Was holy shit, Bitcoin! You can't even send anything right now, but all these altcoins, you can click a button and it works. Um, right, right. So I think we forget about that. And so yeah, was it probably good there wasn't a Bitcoin six figure price then? Probably because as they were saying, like bubbles can run a lot farther than people think, and we've seen it with the countless stocks in the past few years. Like past few years, you got Tilray, was one of them. Beyond Meat was another one beyond meat was supposed to I think open at like either 20 or $30 and it opened up at like 40 went up to 60 or whatever, something like that. And just went to what high of two twenty. It was, you know, something insane. Yeah. And so it was absurd to say the least. And it's just one of those things again, like, yeah, it opened at, yeah, opened at $40. So or 45 and peaked at two, basically peaked at two forty. So, I mean, an insane run and it was just so overvalued but people were chasing it's a you know it's a psych it's a psychology thing it doesn't matter at that point you know as we said price drives adoption <laughs> right 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 no that was um that was almost like your traditional pump and dump but people don't really realize a lot of that stuff the the ipo or the ico you can look at them the same way that is insiders way to exit and and dump their bags right that is the ultimate way to exit your position you take a position when nobody else can right either you're an accredited investor you know somebody uh, you get in on the pre-sale you're waiting for the day when that launches to the public either in a, a traditional regulated market like uh, trading on the new york stock exchange or you know just a shitcoin trading on binance um it when you think about them objectively, they're really no different. It is a way for people to capitalize on their previous investment. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it, now I'm so skeptical on even IPOs anymore. Just watching you them. You can't trust you, IPOs. You, you, Every IPO has yeah, been dog shit right. like this. Chewy. Like yeah. Uber. Lyft. Snap. Yeah. It, I mean, you, I just, can go on for, well, if I zoom yeah. out of Snap, it's 
atrocious. Twenty six. Yeah. That was the most overhyped thing in the world, dude. I remember that was a big deal. Like a bunch, of, like I was like in college at the time, and still like, kids all wanted to get in on Snap. Yeah. And what I do you fucking know? Too. What do you fucking know? Look at the chart, <laughs> dude. It, like you know, like a bunch, you know, eventually a bunch of sad people dump their bags at like single digits, only for it to run from like four bucks to eighteen. That is just the nature of markets. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you and I yeah, talk no. about it. It's like it, watching the emotions print on the screen and all yeah. that stuff. I think, I think it's good because anybody who's been paying attention for the last two years or so, I think. Um, being interested in Bitcoin and looking at the markets and seeing how it trades 24 hours, you get a really good sense of uh, like just public interest in a particular asset or market. And then you can start applying that to other, to other things like equities. And you're looking and saying to yourself, you know, does something like Snapchat make sense or something like Uber or Lyft or Beyond Meat? Uh, because they don't make any money and they haven't for a very long time and you just don't really see how they ever will. And then you start applying that back to the like the the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space and you apply that same logic to, to shit coins. Now, these are interesting because they're all non-productive assets and you you are you're truly just speculating on an appreciation of price but you start to realize you can debunk some of the by using equity shit coins and kind of parallel that to actual shit coins um i think it's interesting and i think uh just to bring it back to the cftc comments it's just it's a good thing to have these derivative markets uh available because i the the more liquidity you get into any market, the the quicker and easier it is to have that price discovery. That's just so necessary, and I, I think we need to see more of it. Yeah, I think it, I, I don't know what point during the financial crisis, whether it was late two thousand eight or early two thousand nine, but short selling was banned, like for a good period of time, which right. again takes away from price discovery. You know, um, and obviously there. The consequences are going to be seen down the road, and but we see it, we already see it. There's plenty of stocks from the financial crisis, like oh, fucking. Have you seen City stock before? No, I haven't looked at it. Oh God, just I have to. I have to even just get more. Just I'm just gonna zoom out just for. That's like like this is Citibank. That's crazy. I know. Like, do you want to explain if anybody who's uh, listening to this and not watching yeah. on YouTube, what this chart looks like? It looks like a giant double top starting in 1987, going from $14 roughly to 553 a share, crashing during the initial um, recession in 2001, 2002, rebounding back up to 550 a share, and proceeding to dump. It would, I, I've measured it before, it's like 99.8% from like $560 to like single digits basically probably as low as yeah. or like 10 bucks yeah just that's insane yeah no i don't think people that's what people don't realize about like the like in 2008 financial crisis there was a lot of people who's just like who's all they owned a lot of big blue chip stocks that like you know barely hung on like an, another good example like companies like at&t where like they peaked and a lot of companies peaked in 2000 ge's another example and have never came back to their old highs you know and might never ever see them again. Like, um, and I know it's a little off topic, but it just brings back the point. Like, it's it's a scary reality, and that's the reality of stocks. Like, 
these companies' market caps peaked. I think GE was the largest market cap in the like at the two thousand peak. <laughs> no, yeah, that's um that's an insane chart, and it's interesting because so many of them look like. ICOs and shitcoin yeah, charts. <laughs> and I think, well, it, it's important to apply the same logic of, you know, these are legitimate companies, right? GE yeah. is a legitimate company. They make fantastic products that um, people all across the planet use day in and day out. And you can see this as a, this is a, um, a, uh, a profit producing entity, right? Like they, they do make money and, you know, their, their stock price really never came around. Uh, and it never came back to new all-time highs. And there are people who mistakenly think that some of their, you know, favorite shit coins will, like that alt season's right around the corner. And maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But you're talking about something that's crazy speculative. With it's yeah. not a, a a cash producing. Like it, it doesn't do anything. And and you're just really hoping that you can. Um, you can get out once yeah. it makes new all-time highs again, and it's just it, there is yeah, absolutely yeah, no it's, guarantee. It's one right thing now. to be speculating at you know at per se bottom, not saying now's a bottom, but if you're holding bags, as I think you were trying to say, you 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 may never see it again. This is your point? Yeah, you need to be able to to live with that and not um, you know think there's greener pastures around the corner. Like it, if anything, it could just get worse too. Yeah, um, it could. A lot of these coins could get delisted and other stuff, and and we'll talk about that when we get into the to the whole Bcash thing. But Dude, Ford, I think it's just important. Ford to remember Motor this. Company is another good one. Like, you know, it's funny. Um, I think Robert Mac says kind of off topic, but I think Defense Secretary Robert McNamara, he um he was a big Ford exec back in the day, and he ended up leaving that position to be part of John John F Kennedy's uh presidential or cabinet, basically. Which is um, pretty interesting because Ford didn't end up IPOing until the late '60s. Oh, that is interesting. Yeah, and going from seventy cents to thirty-seven dollars or something. And then, but here again, that's what I mean. Like Ford's another. Yeah, Ford went bankrupt and went to a dollar. Do you think about that? Think about people who held stock in Ford. You know, uh, yeah. And what think about if you bought stock in nineteen eighty-three, or you owned stock from nineteen eighty-three, and it peaks in you know, basically 1999 and you're thinking, no way this will ever go back to my original buy price. And guess what? 2008, it does. <laughs> yeah. One of my roommates in college, his mom, I think worked at Ford for a very, very, very long time, like her entire life. And like, oh, she, she just kind of lost. Yeah. She really like lost everything. And it was, it was sad. That was my first time hearing of someone like being really impacted financially from the recession. And I know people lose their jobs and I'm, I, I know millions and millions of people were really impacted, but that was my first, like seeing it in real life where he's like, yeah, like, I don't know what they're going to do. Like that was everything that they had well, that's, to that's kind of retire. Fuck. Yeah. And that's it, the fuck thing I mean, about those, it, it like four, there's those setups where people's whole dependency is on that company surviving, like the GE people, the people with Ford where, you know, the stock, is everything and that's all they have to their name and if the stock for instance what ford does think about it if that person has say you know what probably became say over a hundred thousand dollars in the late 90s goes back to fucking like five grand four grand i don't know you know no, I mean? that's exactly yeah it, it's scary <laughs> yeah and uh that's really scary when you think so you, about you, you think it's <laughs> and, it, and I, I think ford pays a dividend of some sort 
yeah, 6.8%. So it's a nice dividend, but still, like, poof. And I know it's over a longer time period, but again, this is emotions on a chart. It goes down to seven bucks. You're still up like 300%. Oh, it goes back up. And then just the fucking dagger in the heart down to a dollar and something, you know, that's a, it's, yeah. it's an emotional game. It happens to people who, who are, who never think they're traders, but they become traders. No, that's exactly right. Speaking of people who are becoming traders, do you think we should talk about the China FOMO? Yeah. Oh, did we meant I just wanted to mention on the end of this about Giancarlo what he said about the 2008 financial crisis. I don't think you mm-hmm. read. I'll just read. No, off, no, no. Go ahead. I'll read yeah. off his quote. Um, this is from the former CFTC Gian, uh, Christopher Giancarlo, but this is another statement he had. Uh, it's basically the subtitle before it's lesson from 2008 or 08, and here's what he said. Coming out of the 2008 financial crisis, the legit criticism of regulators was along the lines of, where were they during the expansion of the real estate mortgage bubble, and why didn't they take steps to pop that bubble when they could have? Um, and it kind of rings the same thing with Bitcoin here, with what the CME and CBOE did. And it was like, CME was December 10th, and CBOE was December 17th, and that was the top. And, you know, um, you know, it makes a point here that, like, what the, the credit default swaps didn't become a thing until what, like 2007, something like that? Yeah. Something like, it was something like that, but it was the very late end of this, basically the end of it, where people started betting short to protect their asses, and there you go. Um, and surprisingly, not many people get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It is a shame, and I think that's... Uh, it really sucks that uh, a handful of people can... Um, be semi-responsible for a lot of this nonsense. And if you ever kind of watch the the Big Short, I guess, um, or you talk to anybody who was uh, like a, a mortgage broker or provided loans in 2000, from basically the year 2002 to 2008, like you'd think if you were selling mortgages, you would know that a person can't afford more than one of them, especially on limited salary. So I don't want to just blame, uh, you know, blame the bankers, right? And Occupy Wall Street, all that nonsense. Like a lot of people were involved just in, 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 yeah, it's ridiculous. And I actually, well, wanna, the movie, wanna, the big short kind of, to, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say like, uh, I had a family member who was like, making hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars selling mortgages prior to the burst. And then like he had literally nothing after that. But I'm thinking to myself, like you weren't smart enough to just do simple math about like selling the guy, his third mortgage for his third home who made like $50,000 a year. And and knowing that like adjustable rates would just wreck this guy eventually, like that didn't cross your mind when you were selling it. Like that part doesn't make sense to me yeah. still like how you, cause that, that's more of a logical. Yeah. No, you're, uh, there's a bunch of people who aren't going to be able to pay these when the m- m- rates spike. And like, I wonder what, I wonder what the percentage change like in the rate they're paying. Like, was it like, you know, being, it, was it, was it, it, f- it like 500%? Like, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's oh, probably yeah. something ridiculous. Like people don't think about it, but so your payments go from like 300 a month to like two grand or something stupid like that. Yeah. Yeah, it can get out of hand really quickly, and uh, it I don't know. I guess that makes you want a different financial system that makes things like that uh, more difficult to happen because not everybody is um, savvy enough to 
make those kinds of like large financial decisions. And, and you could even apply that same thing to a 17 year old kid who's going to take out a loan for a couple of hundred thousand dollars to get a degree in something that uh, the job will not allow him to pay back the loan. So I, I don't know, but yeah, we should uh, we should jump into the China. to the China China yeah. China. China. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so. I mean, we talked about this in the last couple episodes with, you know, President Xi announcing that they want to take a deeper dive into blockchain and they want to take a leadership role as a country. And, uh, you know, you can at first I kind of blew that off. I'm like, you know, who gives a shit? I, whenever I hear the term blockchain, I just dismiss it immediately because I just assume that uh, you really can't be taken seriously enough if that's the term that you're going to use. And I saw, and you have this this tweet up on the screen right now. If anybody's watching this, and it, so I'm, let's talk about some of these statistics. So they were talking about WeChat search statistics. So on the 23rd of October, just a, just a few days ago, there were 777,000 people who were um, searching blockchain, and that jumped to 9.2 million searches just two days later. And then searches for Bitcoin on the 23rd of October were a little over half a million. And that number jumped to 1.3 million searches two days later. So I don't wonder if it's possible that's like the retail FOMO that you hear from that average retail investor, uh, just emotionally, if that can't have a big impact on the price. I don't know. What do you think? Um Definitely a big impact no matter what because that's so many new people introduced to to what blockchain, Bitcoin, crypto, whatever you want to say, the whole of the space just now has so many more eyeballs. Um, and, it, you know, again, is this a re, do we get another retail FOMO event in 2020? Do, does the equity markets go higher? Do we just go into this massive fucking forgone bubble and all because central banks come printing? Is that what happens? Maybe. I don't know. It's it's something that kind of goes to my head every now and then seeing how much um, new money is being added to the system and how incredibly, you know, it's like these people are driving an unguided missile and at some point it fucking crashes and blows up. And that's, that's what's going on, it feels like. At least Draghi is leaving the ECB and handing over to the former IMF chair, uh, Lagarde. Right. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that whole thing goes. Yeah. It's He's, just... Get off the sinking ship. <laughs> no, yeah, for sure. It's funny because like I, I tried not to get too emotionally invested in a lot of the, like the news stuff, and you know, did did the Libra news cause the pump of Bitcoin in the beginning of the year? Like I really didn't think that's the case, and then I saw the China news about you know being bullish on blockchain. I'm like, I just don't know if that has anything to do with anything, and then you start to see more statistics about it. And I have coworkers or people messaging me, Oh, is, is what did Google's quantum computer cause the dump? Is that part of it? And, and then I start to think like, maybe, maybe the news is a part of some of, of what happens, even though I like, I, I typically don't believe that kind of stuff. Cause I think it's a lot of nonsense, but if a lot of this is just retail nonsense, then it really could be the case of, being seeing a news clip and then getting bullish on it. Maybe you have a whole um, 
group of new users coming in who are buying, selling, whatever, uh, it, it very well could be the case that that has something to do with it. And uh, I also saw there was another there was another tweet on some of the educational videos that um, uh, China had released. And the first the first class was literally titled uh, Application of Blockchain, Bitcoin. And it goes on to describe apparently how it solves the double spending problem and the advantages it has over Alipay and WeChat Pay. And I'm thinking to myself like, all right, well, if you're a Chinese Jeez. national and you hear that or and you 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 know, watch a couple of these videos, like, wh what do you think? Do you go and use your VPN and get on uh, BitMEX and and start trading or uh, slinging, like, slinging it at 100x? Well, no, but that, that's kind of my point. Like, I guess I didn't know that at the time. And that's why I had originally dismissed it. And, you know, maybe it has something to do with the price. Maybe it doesn't. But I don't know that that's that's pretty big when when you're seeing these uh, these educational videos. And I'm really surprised that they were that crystal clear about it. Um, if, I, I, I don't know what to think about it, to be quite honest with you, but I do think it's very interesting. Um, it's definitely a step in a certain direction. You know, does she make everyone learn the language of Bitcoin? I don't know. Um, you know, they're obviously, diff they're, you know, an, a, what an aut autocracy, dictatorship, whatever you want to say. Right. It's President Xi for life. So, um, th their system's different. And that's what a lot of people don't realize. Like China is just on this mission to become the global leader in the 21st century. People don't realize it. a lot of people are just too caught up in bullshit politics to really look at what's going on. It, like, right, right. I'm from, being completely yeah, from frank, just yeah. from the global standpoint, they have a goal to be the powerhouse in the 21st century, kind of like how the U S took over from great Britain at the beginning of the 20th century, basically post world war one, um, you know, the U S sort of there and then obviously a depression but again with world war ii um the u.s being just the huge manufacturing and becoming the, the outright winner because the dollar became the global financial system of the brenton woods um system and so now you have uh china looking to basically take over is this you know something is this a direction they want to go with bitcoin with gold because china's another country along with russia that's been stacking gold at an incredible rate so Maybe they're kind of looking at both as a hedge for what you know the current where the current system's going. Right. I mean, they've been they've been printing into oblivion, just trying yeah. to build as much as possible. So you can't. Um, nobody's stupid enough to do that and not have a backup plan in, yeah, in case exactly. you you they're not suffer dumb. from hyperinflation. Right. Absolutely not. And um, you know, as as you and I both try to put this gigantic puzzle together and see how we can ultimately protect ourselves and profit off of it. Um, or else we wouldn't be interested at all. Like you have to, you have to think. Uh, you see Russia stacking gold. You see China stacking gold. Even you see your average uh, retail uh, person considering buying gold. Uh, you, there, the uncertainty is just seems like it's at all time highs, and and uh, you you can't not think of the uncertainty when you take a, a big step back and look at all of the easing that's going on globally this time around. Yeah. Um, and, and nothing bad has even happened yet. Right. I yeah. mean, like sure there's, there's protests all over the world and you know, people are pissed because, um, they're just getting poorer and poorer and the top 1% is getting richer and richer. And, uh, you know, that a lot of that has to do with the money I, that, that, that is the driving force and the root cause of, yeah. of all of this. So it's really not like so, rich people's fault that stonks just keep pumping. <laughs> <laughs> it's no, like no, no. right, right. <laughs> it's, uh, 
Um, but yeah, no, it's, this is interesting. Uh, you know, we're, we're like, as we were talking about last episode, I think the people who've like thought the financial system would collapse in 2000, 2001, basically, and kept going and took to 2008 where the system completely collapsed, but it was saved by printing a bunch of money with TARP, which is Troubled Asset Relief Program, which was in uh, end of 2008, like October, basically because they just handed like what, 700 billion or something crazy like that over to these banks. To make sure. billion, that's it? <laughs> I, at the initial at the time. <laughs> no, it's oh, funny because oh, that, you, that I think that was sarcastic. Shitlo- I just that was that. a shitload of money then yeah. and now 125 billion overnight to yeah. pump liquidity in the repo markets is like, nothing. it's nothing. It doesn't, nobody even, nobody, nobody, but exactly. Nobody's batting an eye. And I think, yeah. I think this is, this is kind of like that black omen or, you know, whatever you want to put it, that black swan. It's kind of this right, giant right. omen here that's just like, okay, what is going on? Like, right. and how long, because it, because to be honest, like you would think markets could go higher because of the amount of money they're adding or whatever, but nothing's happening. We're barely moving up. So, and like record low volume on the uh, SPY, you know, ETF. So yep. what, you know, what's happening? Something's not right. Um, yeah, it seems like there's a dislocation and it always, as we try to uh, remind everyone that it takes longer to play out than than you At, think. Oh, every it, fucking time, dude. <laughs> right. So, so it's kind of like time. you just see this the seams start to start to cracking a little bit, and it's it's just important to take notice of it. There's there's more pieces of the puzzle than there ever has been before, and uh, you you can do with those pieces of the puzzle what you wish, right? All you can do is uh, look at them and, and assess how they might fit together and then start to see what's at the center of all of it. And you realize it's the, um, the central banking system and how that operates on a global scale. And they, something has to happen with it. Either they need to come up with a, a new way to function and, you know, what does that replacement look like? And by the looks of it, you start to hear more about uh, tokenization and you know, blockchains in China and stuff like that. So they are definitely ramping up for that that next gen financial system from a from a centralized standpoint but now you have that that parallel system that's uh being built and i think raul paul likes to talk about that when he thinks about bitcoin is you know now you kind of have two that are running together and and one's a debt-based system and the other's an equity-based system and it will be interesting to see, assuming the decentralized system and and Bitcoin gets large enough to start competing, what what that looks like in two years, what that looks like in five years, and then what does that look like in a decade from now? Uh, it, it's impossible to say, but um, it seems like when you think of the Lindy effect, it's been ten fucking years. Like I, I definitely expect ten more. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I mean. I think at this point it's going to outlast the uh, year or the. I'm going to blank on that. The euro. It's going to, yeah, I don't think. Euro. I don't think, you know, I think the euro is doomed. I think Europe, people are really missing out. What's, Europe's one of those things that people really don't realize that that cultures destroy themselves. And I don't know what comes out, what happens. But I think the EU is going to be the first thing that's going to really go. You obviously have Brexit. You have Italy. You have a bunch of countries that are pissed off. And I think a recession will. Or some sort of economic downturn is going to end that whole thing completely. Right. That'll right. That'll um, hopefully let a free market come back in and kind of wipe that away, and they can start over. 
Uh, what we, should we jump into the Bcash issues to, to finish up here? Yeah, so the the Bcash, the Bcash thing was was pretty oh. interesting, and it looks like um, it looks like someone's gained a uh, control of a large majority of the hash rate, most likely over fifty percent. Uh, and the reason that they believe that's true is because they the same address pretty much found 24 blocks in two hours, which is kind of insane when you think that there's usually about six blocks per hour. So, I mean, that's double more than double the amount of blocks you would typically see in, in that time frame. Um, and the only way that that would be possible is if a tremendous amount of hash rate came onto the network. Um, and, you know, I, I don't believe that they're actually, uh, you know, doing anything nefarious or double spending or anything like that, but uh, they're taking control, <laughs> control of the hash rate for sure. And that has repercussions because uh, Bcash has a slightly different uh, difficulty adjustment, the way that that works. So it kind of ratcheted back up um, to account for that increase in hash rate. And now you're seeing a few hours go by where there's like no blocks being found. Um, and I, I think it's important to understand, and that thread is really good. We're going to put that in the show notes so you guys can go and look at it for yourself. But it just goes to show you these are these really are decentralized systems where anybody can kind of enter the space and, and join in the mining function. But uh, there's repercussions to that, especially if the overall hash rate is just really low. Like people can come in and really make monstrous waves and uh, the the bigger block size of of Bcash is proving to be something that isn't so sustainable. And you know, the question I really wanted to ask you was: Let's assume that um, any proof of work chain that's running right now, and they have, and those tokens are for sale on an exchange, and the hash rate keeps decreasing and decreasing and decreasing because uh, those miners are either throwing in the towel or they're going to buy new mining hardware and just start mining Bitcoin because it's no longer profitable to mine something like Litecoin, Monero, or Bcash, or BSV, or whatever. I don't wonder if the free market will decide to delist some of these uh, chains that are just having these technical issues. Well, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think it's like, you know, if, if something does get hacked or whatever 51% has, I think a lot of exchanges will freeze up anything going on in them, you know, the trading aspect and whatnot. I wouldn't be surprised. I think, what was it, didn't Ethereum Classic in the last year get some kind of issues with that, I feel like? You know, no, you're you're right. Ethereum Classic did have a, an issue with a 51% attack. And it's funny because it didn't really impact the price all that much. Yeah, no, the price didn't um, change if, that much. If, if at all. So um, that that's interesting in itself because you don't wonder if if that happens to another chain, will anybody even care? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if nobody cared because no one's using Ethereum Classic, or I don't know if anybody cared because that's yeah, no. um, yeah, they either didn't know, and that's kind of just how the how the system works, right? It's you're probabilistically saying when you send a a transaction on any chain, and it's confirmed more and more times, and as more time goes by, it becomes more expensive to rewrite that transaction or back it out and then move those coins somewhere else. So um, the final finality, transaction finality is never permanent. It just becomes more and more unlikely that it would be um, rewritten or 51% attack to the point where that uh, that transaction would 
would uh, would be rewritten. So I don't know. I think it's 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 funny to see people were so afraid of the the fork wars, right? Bcash, BSV, and oh, Bitcoin's dead. Like it's going to get forked to forked to death. If anything, it just made Bitcoin way stronger and more. It shows how anti fragile it is because mm-hmm. these shit coins fork off and and they're they're dying. And you don't. It doesn't even need to be attacked maliciously for it to die on its own. You're seeing. Um, you're just seeing that play out in real time. So I think it will be a really good case study. Uh, I'm assuming this will be a, a hot topic in whatever educational uh, facilities look like over the next decade or two, kind of using Bcash and the fork wars as a case study to see uh, how these how these decentralized systems operate. Yeah, no, it's, it'll, it'll be interesting. You know, we're, we're almost in 2020. How much longer do these, you know, how much longer does the XRP thing stay alive? I don't know. You know, no, no, it, it's true. It seems like the SRP the- army is just like, it's like small, right? It's not that many people no. who, who really think there's another pump around the corner. And they are always talking about it's uh, a lot of bots, I feel like. set up an office in DC. And what does that mean? And thinking that's bullish. I'm like, if you need to set up an office in DC to make sales, like that's not bullish because you wouldn't have to do it if you didn't need to make sales. Right. Uh, it would just be being adopted because it's it's a product that the market wants and nobody wants that. So I think just as we said, right, like it, it, I wasn't around as a trader in 2001, but how long did it take for people to come around to pets.com not necessarily being such a great idea or a business model? You couldn't just buy a domain name for a certain niche and think that was going to be how you were going to become a billionaire. Yeah. So I I think that same thing's being applied. And as we say all the time, shit takes a lot longer to play out than you think it does. Yeah, and it, just, it, it, just it, it, could, it could take such a much longer time for, for new people coming into the Bitcoin space to look at other projects and um, have enough information to know what they can dismiss and what they and what they maybe shouldn't dismiss. And there's still a big dislocation there, right? You still get the people who ask you, oh, should I buy um, Bitcoin Cash? It looks a little cheaper than Bitcoin. That seems like a, you know, they're just using really bad arguments for why they might want to invest in something. They don't they don't have any backstory of any of this stuff. So it will still take time for people to really come around to understanding what's really going on in the space and not... Um, jumping down that whole shitcoin rabbit hole, right? Yeah, no, it's it, it's going to take people time as usual. This is not, you know, unfortunately, something that happens overnight. But things like what Xi, Xi Jinping did does help. Right. Um, no, yeah, apparently. <laughs> apparently, according to the price. Um, yeah, man. The uh, the weekly, the two week, and the daily close in three minutes and thirty seconds. We have to we have to keep recording for that next time. <laughs> three more minutes, thirty seconds. I'm I'm curious, and also the monthly candle closes. That's that's what I'm also curious to see how the the, the uh, S and P monthly candle, all those big candles close this week. You know, like four days left, four days of trading. What could possibly happen? You know what I mean? It's it's always. I don't fun. know. We talk <laughs> we talk about that all the time, and it's like. It's hard to say. Sometimes we're always looking forward to to Monday, and then oh, dude, like so nothing ends up. I've been excited for Monday, ends. like fucking the weekend, and just like sitting here, like okay, sure, Bitcoin's moving, but I'm just like sitting here. I'm like, you know, just waiting for the week to start. 
it seems like that, that's us every weekend whenever we record on a Sunday we're like waiting for futures markets to open and then and Monday morning markets to open and see you know what the fuck's going on with yeah. the world and uh, sometimes nothing happens sometimes it does but I think it's um, it's so hard we say this all the time like it feels close like something something happens here maybe there's more news um, where does Bitcoin go does where do equities go? Do is there any correlation between the two of them? Is is one going to be considered more of a safe haven than the other? Uh, people more knowledgeable, might, you and I might think Bitcoin's a safe haven at a certain standpoint, or gold, or something like that. But then on the other hand, ninety nine point nine percent of people might look at Bitcoin and say, "How on earth would you ever think that's a safe haven asset?" It's, you know, extremely volatile. We just had the most volatile Bitcoin trading day in a very long time, what was it like 40% in a day, depending upon which exchange you were looking at? I think that's the it third, was in like, that was the third most volatile day ever. And, and the last one was like in 2011 or something like that. So <laughs> like, I, I'm, I want to keep track of that actually, the, the daily volatility, because yeah. if I, I, I used to believe just by looking at the statistics that um, Bitcoin volatility overall is decreasing over time, right? You would assume as the price continues to increase, the volatility will continue to decrease. And then out of nowhere on nothing, you have a 40% move in a day. And that, I mean, it took me by surprise. It took everybody by surprise, but I, I don't know if that's, um, is that, uh, like a preview of more things to come? Will, will there be more, 40% days. I think somebody tweeted like it's only seven more days like this and you're at hundred thousand, a hundred K or something <laughs> like, and you're just like, Holy shit. You know, yeah. uh, it, it, you really don't need too many volatile days to start cracking, uh, unthinkable valuations for Bitcoin. And it, it, it like th today I can't, I can't imagine or fathom, uh, such high prices and market caps in the trillions of dollars. But it's almost even if you even if you think Bitcoin's a, a scam and will die in five or ten years, like there's no shot we don't touch trillions at some point yeah, in that's the next. Yeah, I thought we were going to hit just, trillion total in like, twenty eight or twenty. Well, I guess early twenty eighteen, we were so close. close. We were so close. Yeah. yeah well, it, it, the market cap the market cap peaked in twenty eighteen because of the overflow. Right. Um, but no, yeah, it was like from six a.m. basically to fucking like you know to whatever time at night like 8 p.m you know it was like 14 hours for to go three thousand dollars or no, something it, it was it, yeah those are absolutely face ripping moves yeah and uh i remember those those thousand dollar candles and moves in 2017 and i mean if this is just how it's popping out of the out of the bear market <laughs> like then like maybe even five thousand dollar moves in a day will seem like no big deal at all um in the in the not too distant future meaning you know in the next couple of years like you might not even blink at a few thousand dollar move um just because it'll it'll feel normal right i mean oh and on a percentage basis if you're talking a hundred thousand dollar bitcoin a thousand dollar moves one one percent and nobody yeah. it's funny like one percent in Bitcoin world, nobody cares about, but 1% in equities, the, you know, the whole world loses their mind. So it, you become numb to these 
uh, moves. And it's funny because I had a coworker who took a position in GBTC and his Roth on like Thursday of last week before the pump. Oh, I mean, it was Wednesday. Like, yeah, he bought in the eights and now it's sitting in, in the tens already. So yeah. he's up like 25%. Yeah, he's like, holy shit. Like, I, I can't believe this. And I was like, dude, I was like, if you think this is wild, like you've really seen nothing yet. Like we're like people don't even care yet because we're not above new all time highs. Like literally nobody cares except for me and, you know, a hundred other dudes on Twitter who like to talk about Bitcoin. But yeah. like, uh, uh, yeah, people will, I think the volatility and the, the, how high things can go will really take everybody by surprise. Yeah. Uh, you can't, you just need to expect that going in, right? You know, Pomp always tweets every once in a while, like, uh, warning, you know, like Bitcoin is volatile. You can lose all your money. It's highly speculative. Like it gives you all those warnings and people like to give them shit about it. But I think it's important for any new listeners to the show or any new listeners to Bitcoin to just mentally be prepared for that. Or if you have a heavy investment, which, um, you know, that that's on you, but your, your net worth can swing a lot and you, like to the point where you can't sleep. So like Dude. if you can't sleep, you might need to think about what you're going to do. Uh, yeah. It, it, it can just get really, really sketchy. Like it can get really sketchy really fast. So, uh, take your privacy very seriously, take your security very seriously, get comfortable using a hardware wallet, learn how to run a full node, like just all of those steps that get you more comfortable with Bitcoin because uh, your net worth really could swing a lot. And it, you know, everybody has their own story about that. Right. But it, it's just important to, it's important to know that, know that upfront. Yeah, no, it's things can happen really quickly. Anyone in 2017 can tell you that things can change drastically in what, two months. Yeah. No. Like, yeah. It, it really like, can. like it. I don't think people. You know. You're like, oh, that's long. No, it's not that long of time. It's not. It really isn't. It's like, oh shit, what is going on? I feel like it went from not a lot of people I know, my age, like being interested in to a lot everyone, to whatever, I, I always... until like till to everyone, and <laughs> and you remember like holidays, 2017. I remember you know, going back home or you're, oh, you're going out with your friends for Thanksgiving, right? Like everybody's everyone. back in town, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, people are talking about $300 Litecoin and I have this and that shit coin and blah, blah, blah. Oh. And everybody's making money. And people who you haven't heard from in a long time are, are back into, are into the space that you never would have thought would have been yeah. involved. And, uh, it, I mean, it literally turns on a dime like that. And, you and I will both need to really keep our eyes out for when that happens, happens again, because yeah. that's a good warning. That's a very sign. good warning sign. The things and are. I think. I don't know. You and I weren't in in 2016 to know when people started flocking into it, right? So, I yeah. think you'll you'll see maybe two or three different waves, assuming uh, a new bull market happens in the next, uh, you know, two years, 24 months. It could be a really long run if you think that you know, they came out of the bull market in, you know, the beginning of 2016 and then ran all the way to the end of 2017. It could be 24 months of fun. And, uh, I think you'll <laughs> like, no, it's, but it's true, dude. It's a long fucking time. I know. So if you assume that 
you break into new all-time highs, let's just say in uh, sometime in 2020, and then you know how long does Bitcoin run for? And then now you're now you're a year out after the having. Um, everyone's getting used to the new supply, right? That 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 new supply gets cut in half on a daily basis. Okay, so uh, what do those coins need to be being sold for on a daily basis for miners to cover their expenses, right? You'd assume if you if half of the shit you can sell. If you sell a hundred widgets um, for a hundred dollars each, and you're expecting that much revenue, and now all of a sudden you can only sell fifty of them, well, how much do you need to sell them more to stay solvent, right? Uh, either the price goes up and you can stay solvent, or it doesn't, and then you know you have to close your business. So, uh, you know, something happens one way or the other, but it can just get really wild really fast. And I think we'll have a few different waves of new users. You'll have the people who are getting in once they hear about new all-time highs, they'll, those people will get in. And then once the price doubles, those people will tell their friends, like, I just bought Bitcoin and I'm, I double my money already. You should get it. And then that's how it starts to circulate among a big group of people. Yeah, I, do. I, just, I just remember like so many people became so much more interested in crypto. And like the people who like I told like early when I got in who weren't gave me shit about it were all like pissed. I knew a couple that put a little bit of money in and they were unhappy because even though they made money, it wasn't as much as they, they realized like, holy shit, wow, I could have made a lot. You know what I mean? And then the other people who gave me shit were like, well, fuck. You know what I mean? Because it was like I like I was pretty open about it to like close friends like pretty early on about it. I was like, yeah, like this is like whatever's going on here isn't normal and it wasn't and you know it wasn't much long, longer later that things got pretty ridiculous yeah it, it can just happen so fast and really turn on a dime so it's just just something to be aware of especially when you're you're dealing with 24-hour markets um it, everything just plays out so much faster than it you'd be used to in a more traditional market that doesn't trade on a 24 hour basis. And, uh, it's funny cause like, I like it now cause things just happen faster and, um, you just need to be aware of that. You really just need to be aware. Yeah, no, it's, uh, things happen quick. And even like, even in regular markets, they happen pretty quickly. Like, you know, the, the 20 at the start of 2018, when it looked like everything was over, like when Bitcoin bubble popped and crypto popped, and then like a month later, equities fell. Like the VIX Mageddon had or Vol Mageddon happened, and everything hit the fan. You know, it was like, well, adios. Yep. <laughs> um, and then you know, but and then same thing again at the end of 2018. Now here we are, uh, end of 2019, and it's, we're at all time highs. So, <laughs> well. We're going to look back in like two months from now and see how this fares, you know, like what, end of December? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll be, we'll be deep into Q4 and we'll... Uh, we'll know how we we'll, sounded or how dumb or yeah. how smart we looked. Yeah, we're going ha- to have to reference back to these episodes. Yeah. We think that's a good way to wrap it yeah, up. That's a good way to wrap it up. Yeah, that was... Uh, yeah, so this was uh, just some news really worth talking about. Um, make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast on youtube leave us some comments uh subscribe on apple Podcasts. leave us a review follow on spotify and as always dms are open so please reach out and let us know what you guys want us to talk about yeah thanks for tuning in yeah episode 51 thank you very much